It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls. Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Sticks in the Six podcast, episode 119, brought to you by the fine folks at the Indiale House and our friends over at VSN Podcast Network. I'm joined here with my co-hosts, Peter and Alex. How are you doing this morning, boys? Peter, after you. No, after, after you. After you. <laughs> oh, after. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, we're, I'm doing good. Um, uh, we're, we're. You know what? I'm honestly just at the point of the season where I'm ready for. I'm ready for playoffs. I'm so Some playoff sick, hockey, yeah. sick of I talking like about regular season games and freaking out over losses and freaking out over wins. I just. This is always the type, the time of the season where I I start focusing more on like important things that are going to happen during the season and the playoffs instead of just going on a day day by day by day game to game basis. Like right now, I'm looking forward to uh, Ryan O'Reilly coming back, and then after that, Matthew Nice potentially, and then the playoffs. Everything in between, I don't care about. So. I guess you, you asked me how I was doing, not what my th- thoughts were on the state of the Leafs, but you can kind of put those two together, I guess, because I haven't had a really eventful week. So there you go. Beautiful. Peter, how are you doing, buddy? Uh, kind of the same like Alex. Ten more games. Ten more games, baby. That's all it is. And then playoffs are around the corner. It's really exciting right now. But, yeah, I'm doing good. And, you know, you know me with my music and Alex can relate to this too, but like anytime, like right now, especially whenever there's a, like a new Lincoln park track coming out from like the Meteora 20th anniversary, I'm going to be listening to that nonstop loss was on repeat and now fighting myself is that next track right now. And again, like we, like we talk about like, like I, I can't remember. I think it was like this past week or the week before where it was like the anniversary of Chester Bennington's death. And now it's like, Hearing that, hearing his voice, hearing the new song come out, like the anniversary, it still hits home. Like I'm still in disbelief about that. But you know what? The music is uh, alive and well for a reason. So if you need to check out Fighting For Myself, do it. Because it, it is like literally shades of like lying from you. Takes me back to my childhood. I think Linkin Park was one of those uh, albums I'd listen to as I was falling asleep. I had this big, this big ass boombox in my room. And I just listened yeah. to it. And like it'll it'll actually you guys will think I'm crazy, but I I'd have like Lincoln Park one night, the next night it'd be like Tupac's greatest hits. I was hey. all over the place. Hey. I was all over the place. Little Conway Twitty thrown in there, a little mix of Conway <laughs> Twitty. 
Just um, picturing 15-year-old Forbes just slamming bush lights in his room listening to Conway Twitty. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably whatever was in the fridge, right? But um, Did yeah, you no. also do the family guy thing with Peter Griffin? Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Conway Twitty. Four-minute cutscene. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what though. My 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 dad actually had to buy me the a copy of the greatest hits, uh Conway Twitty's greatest hits, because he had it upstairs in his uh in his uh little repertoire that there and every once in a while i'd go missing because i'd take it down to my room and i'd be listening to my <laughs> so eventually they just got me my own copy of the album and um that those go back to my country days so peter the um, best the best is when they make that joke at the end where uh at, on the episode where they're all in heaven visiting god and then right as they're about to leave god's like hey by the way conway twitty says cut it out just write a joke <laughs> <laughs> i remember that That's i so, remember that one so good well, boys, like you mentioned, uh, playoff hockey is just around the corner. And I think I, I, I do agree with you. I think it's time that, you know, we're just ready for it. Like the regular season, I think with the Leafs right now, we know what we're expecting in the first round. Uh, we know that, you know, it's it's going to be against Tampa Bay. Um, it's just about, you know, home ice advantage. And I think that makes it a little bit tougher to kind of tune into the rest of the regular season because you just want to. You just want to get going. You want you want that revenge after last season. You want to get back back at it and, and see what the Leafs can bring this time around. But uh, obviously, before we get into our Leaf talk, a little news from around the league. And I do want to shout out the London Knights um, on this episode because um, it was win number 900 for Dale Hunter last night. Um, and, and such a big milestone for a guy who's done it for so long and really coached some, some uh, incredible first-round talent when it comes to the NHL. And I give him a shout out because I took my son to the his first hockey game the other day. Well, I shouldn't say the other day; it was a couple of weeks ago, and uh, got him got him his first London Knights jersey and threw it back to the old Spider Knights. Oh, oh, that, that is, is phenomenal! So that's that's Oakley's little jersey. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get him to a playoff game at some point. Um, see the Knights, uh, see the Knights pull it off. But uh, yeah, shout out not to a fanatic jersey though. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, that's a that's a conversation we can have a little <laughs> bit later. But um, <laughs> hopefully the quality steps up when it comes to fanatics. Yeah. Um, but uh, I want to talk to you guys about Pecorine, uh in Nashville, and and I believe it was yesterday his his statue was unveiled outside of Bridgestone Arena. And if you've been to Nashville, beautiful area when it comes to their arena and and where it's situated in the city. But the whole statue conversation. Um, I know we've kind of had it before, but I want to get your take on it again. Now that Pecorino is, is forever enshrined outside of Bridgestone arena. Um, Alex, I'll throw it to you first. What are your thoughts on a guy like Pecorino who, I mean, he was with the, he was with the organization, his entire career, um, really was a, was a cornerstone of that organization when they went, when they were really coming up. Um, but your thoughts on, on a guy like Pecorino getting a, a statue outside of uh, Bridgestone. When it comes to teams building statues or retiring jersey numbers or honoring players that played for them in whatever way, uh, I'm a firm belief that it should really just depend on what that player did for your organization, what that player meant to the fans, as opposed to you know where they sit in the leaderboards in the NHL and how many points or assists or all-time wins they had, etc., like, for example, I see a lot of people rip on the Ottawa Senators for re retiring Chris Neal's jersey number. And, you know, every Senators fan I talk to talks about how amazing Neal was and how much of a fan favorite he was. And I know how much of a fan favorite he was. But to be a Sens fan during that time, you know, 
sure, Neil may have only been a third line forward, maybe at his best, but he was a he was a fan favorite, and the team loved him, the fans loved him, and you know, if everybody around Ottawa is in favor of retiring Neil's jersey number and giving him a ceremony, then no one else should have any gripes about it. And I think I feel the same way about Pecorini and the and the Predators. I mean. You can go and say, oh, you know, he never won a cup for the Preds or, uh, you know, he, I, I don't know. I, that's really the only gripe you can make from at this point because he did everything else. And you can go ahead and say whatever you want. But if the Predators feel that he is, you know, means as much to the organization as he does, then I, I don't think you can really you can really make an argument against that because in, in their mind, they're honoring someone that's important to them. And if it's important to them, then it shouldn't be important to anyone else. So. Peter, your thoughts on 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 that as well as I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw this at you as well. Um, so let's say let's say Marner Matthews re-signed in Toronto. Right now, Marner sits at 548 career points for the Leafs. Um, obviously, 440 roughly back of Matt Sundin. But let's say both of them get within the top 10 of of all-time points for the Leafs. Are we talking about statues on Legends Row for Matthews and Marner? 100. percent I mean, let's face it, they're in the record books. They're, I mean, kind of the same thing with Alex, depending on if they win a championship or not, is going to be, you know, the biggest question or not. But they've had an impact and they're like legacy players for this team. There's no doubt about that. And you could say the same with Pecorine because he stuck with them from the very beginning. Uh, he's been a career long player for them. Um, you know, just looking at his stat line too, you know, 2.43 goals against, 917 save percentage. 369 wins in 15 years and this is even uh, towards the tail end in like 2019-20 where he started to struggle he still had a winning record that season obviously the numbers weren't that great and that was a transitional period where UC Saros was starting to come in and then you know they drafted Yaroslav Askarov who's starting to shine right now in the AHL but you know this is a lifelong this is a player that like was there from the at the beginning and there to the end. And yeah, you, you could also throw in the fact that, yeah, they didn't win a Stanley cup with him, but at the same time, he was a runner up. Like he was a key piece in that 2016, 17 team where you had, you know, Ryan Johansson at his peak, Matt Duchesne, uh, PK Subban as well. Like they were all critical pieces and Pecorino backs off them to the Stanley cup finals. And that's something that, you know, obviously you want to hoist the cup, but at the same time, that's something that, you know, he should feel happy about with his accomplishments because he was a go-to player for that team fan favorite in the city. And, you know, now the fact that he's the first one to be enshrined in sort of like the early stages of like expansion teams, that's got to feel good for him. No doubt about that. Yeah. I, I, to some extent, I, I, I'm in agreement with you guys. I think um, when it comes to, so you guys know my opinion on on like the uh, the the return video that players seem to get if they played one game with a with an organization now, and uh, I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, I I think like I get I get what you're trying to do. You're trying to you know pay respect to to whatever time they spent with your organization. When it comes to uh, retiring jersey numbers, um, for me, like for the longest time, the Leafs only did it for players that. You know their their careers were cut short with the organization. So, for example, um, like even even Tim Horton at the time didn't have his his jersey retired with the Leafs because when his you know when his uh, his accident took place, it was with with the Buffalo Sabers. So I think there was, um, you know, there there I, I wasn't always a huge fan of that. I thought like players that 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 did something for the organization, players that won a cup for the organization, deserve to have 
you know, their numbers retired, especially if they were, you know, part of the cornerstone of that organization. To me now, it's like the, the retirement of a Jersey in the sake of, you know, Chris Neal, I get that, you know, he was, he was a big piece of that organization for such a long time. And we saw it within the battles of Ontario. Mm -hmm. So I can understand where you're coming from with, with wanting to retire his Jersey. I think statues are a bigger thing. And like, we're talking like how many, how many teams around the league have statues outside of their, outside of their arenas. And I think it's becoming more and more. Uh, we saw obviously, uh, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's escaped me. Winnipeg uh, just did theirs with, uh, uh, who was it? Anyways, it doesn't, regardless, you're seeing uh, Dale Howardchuck. It was Dale Howardchuck. I was just about to say it was Howardchuck. And, uh, you know, it, that to me makes sense because of what he meant to the organization and the way kind of everything ended. I think for me, like, if you're Pecorine, obviously this is a fantastic moment for the organization. Obviously, this is something that you're going to – you want to enshrine um, outside of the arena because the fans know who Pecorine is. He was – he was a big part of that organization for such a long time. But at the same time, he never got that organization over the hump. And and to me, I mean, the same argument's been made about some of the players on, on Leafs Legends Row. Like Matt Sundin was, was a question mark by some. Wendell Clark was a question mark by some. Um, you know, there, there, there's players like that that you kind of look back at. And now in saying that, Matt Sundin also has the organization's all-time points, uh, you know, points record. Um, Wendell Clark, I mean, he's he's Wendell Clark. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, for me, like when if you look back and and Pecorine jumps into the Hall of Fame, and that, and then you go back and then you can kind of put that statue outside of the outside of Bridgestone because he spent his entire career there. I do love the aspect of it where you know you're kind of celebrating. Hey. This guy was a, 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 like the entire time he was in the NHL, he was a national predator. I do, I do like the celebration of that because I, I don't think there's enough of that anymore. And I, I love, I love a good story of like a Steve Eiserman who played his entire career with the Detroit Red Wings. I love, uh, you know, it kind of, it kind of sucked. Even as a Leaf fan, it sucked to see Daniel Alfredson eventually leave the Ottawa Senators because I was like. He, he never looked right in another jersey, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So Matt Sundin, I mean, obviously he started with the Nordiques, so you can't really say that. But, um, you know, jumping into, you know, a Canucks jersey all of a sudden at the end of his career, it just didn't look right. Um, so I, I get that aspect of it, but I don't know. For me, it just – I don't know. I don't know. A, a, to me, a, a, a statue is like everything, right? Like – you're talking about Tom Cheek outside of outside of the Sky Dome, right? Um, I Mario Lemieux outside of Pittsburgh, uh, Wayne Gretzky. You know, there's a there's a statue of Wayne Gretzky in Brantford, Ontario. Um, I don't know, I don't know. It's just for me, it, it kind of hits different. But I get where they're coming from, and I do think it was a big moment for Pecorine. And I, you know, obviously, um, you know congratulations to him and congratulations to the organization. And I'm not trying to take away anything from that. I just think it, you know, there's a, there's a step from Jersey retirement to, to, to putting a statue outside of the arena. So I'm kind of half asking a serious question here, but also just half being a shit disturber slash devil's advocate going back to when you asked, uh, is it like when you said a statue is a lot bigger than a Jersey number retirement, 
is it really? Because in one sense, you can, you, you know, you can only retire a jersey number once. I think that kind of defeats the purpose after. If you were to say 300 years from now, if Pecorino, what was he, number 35? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If Pecorino was number 35 and the Preds retired his jersey number, say like 200 years from now, there's a guy that does everything that Rene did and wins them like 10 cups in a row. At that point, you can't really unretire Pekka's number, but if you build a statue of him, you can always build another statue for yeah. this next guy. So I'm, I'm like half kidding, but at the same time, there is, you know, it kind of does make you think a little. So I'm going to, I'm going to counter that with the Leafs actually retired the number 27 twice, Frank Mahovlich oh, okay. and Daryl Sittler. So they have retired mm. twice. And I believe the New York Yankees actually retired the same number twice as well for two separate players. And that's so that brings me back to eventually, if you retire enough numbers, eventually your organization is going to either have to go to three digits or you're going to have to start playing with retired numbers. So, yeah. and, and that, I mean, you know it kinda, when did it's kind of counteractive. When did they retire Sittler's and Mahavlich's number 27? The same time, the same time. Okay. So, so was that they, the did, same they time? did retire at the same time because that, that was when they Shanahan came in and they transitioned from these um, honored numbers. To, to fully retiring numbers. Them. That's why and JVR they, they, changed from JVR changed. That's right. Twenty five to twenty one too. Wait, was he? 25? And I believe Neil. No, yeah, he was twenty one to twenty five. Sorry, because yeah. of Salming. That's why. Yeah. So I mean, I I do get I do get the argument, and I I agree with you. I agree. I do. My thought process with retiring numbers, and you guys know I'm a stickler when it comes to the you know the the Hall of Fame as well. I think it's very uh, the Hall of Fame can be very saturated at times, um, but. I think at a, eventually, if you retire enough numbers as an organization, you're going to have to recycle these numbers because you're not going to go um, all of a sudden a player's wearing number 100, right? Like yeah. it's just, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So, um, but anyways, seven and one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so anyways, congratulations to Pecorino. It is a great moment for him. And, and, and I do understand where the, the Preds are coming. He was a lifelong Pred. Um, he, he meant a lot to that organization and he's a recognized face around the community as well. And we heard it with, uh, we heard it with, uh, Kaskasuo. I mean, that, 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 um, that community in Nashville is, is somewhere that yeah. players obviously love to stay and, and be around. So I'm sure, I'm sure Rene's in the, in the community at times in Nashville and, and probably means a lot to that community as well. So it, it does make sense, even though I'm, sitting here arguing against it but um <laughs> pecorine goes and calls off his statue ceremony because the guy on six of the six said eh, i don't know if he's worth it <laughs> yeah yeah uh anyways last last quick note from around the league boys but uh we're not going to dive deep into this because as alex mentioned in the in the uh, pre preamble here um we could just recycle everything we've said last week and and five weeks ago and whatever else Eric Stahl, Mark Stahl decide not to wear the pride jerseys for the um, for the Florida Panthers. And Jordan, uh, Jordan Stahl jumped on board as well. And Don't Jordan forget. Stahl jumped on board yeah. as well. And I should mention, yeah, I should mention the, the Chicago Blackhawks also did not wear their pride jerseys. Um, that's coming after Connor Murphy earlier in the year said that he wants all of his teammates mm-hmm. to wear the pride jerseys. Uh, they blamed it on Russia, which I thought was kind of the most phenomenal joke of an excuse ever because they have three Russian players on their team. Um, and then, of course, uh, 
the Stahl brothers blamed it on uh, their religion and, and what have you. And and uh, there is video that uh, Eric Stahl did wear a pride jersey when he was with the Montreal Canadiens. In his in his uh, statement, he does not recollect wearing that uh, that pride jersey. I don't know how you don't remember it. Uh, maybe he just didn't want to remember his days in Montreal. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I don't know if you guys want to add anything to this shit show. But um, yeah, that's, I just that's kind I, of I just love the I love the idea that that God was okay with it when he wore the pride jersey two years ago, but he's not okay with it now. 2023 God is all about not being for the pride jerseys, not 2021 God. So I don't know. I saw, you know what? I saw a great, a great thing on Twitter, actually trying to explain why it's become such a big deal in this year. And, and the, the individual, I'd have to look up the name, but the individual said something along the lines of it's, it's not about, it's not about the homophobia anymore. It's about transphobia and, and the way that they've changed the flag on the jerseys. Um, and a lot of people are, 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 they won't specify what it is, but he believes that it was, it's more of a transphobic movement than anything else. And it, I mean, read into it however you want. I'm not going to sit here and tell you how to feel or how to think, but it, his argument made a hell of a lot of sense. And, uh, if that's the case, I mean, are you really, are you really promoting inclusivity then? No, you're not. You're, you're not. You're not. <laughs> no, 100% you're You not. add another marginalized community to the flag and all of a sudden that's too much. It's like, okay, we're in we're we're in for some inclusivity, not mm-hmm. all But not all inclusivity, yeah. yeah. 100%. 100%. Uh, Anyways, we're not can I, Before I was, we move on, can I just I, I just want to point out a something funny that I found from Jordan Stahl's statement that I want to I want to single out here. So he released a big thing using the words standing in solidarity with his brothers, which I thought was hilarious. Just <laughs> You know what? My brothers are going to take swords to the chest over being homophobes and sign me the fuck up, brother. Um, uh, late in the in the later part of his statement, he goes, <laughs> "Jesus, okay, sorry. I have decided to join my brothers in boycotting the pride. Or sorry, while I respect the NHL's efforts to promote inclusivity and equality through the pride jerseys, I've decided to join my brothers in boycotting them. I believe that there are other ways to support the LGBTQ plus community that are more impactful and meaningful, such as through education and advocacy. So I, I for one, want to hear what Jordan Stahl's ideas are on how to properly educate people about the lgbtq community instead of just wearing a fucking jersey for 20 seconds i'd like to know what his what yeah. his plan is if he's got a curriculum for this yeah <laughs> uh, i just, just and well, i mean just so you guys are aware i just blocked a user from commenting on our show um one of these one of these face faithful fucks that uh, decide to throw that word christianophobes um which is not not the case that's not that's a word not even, that's not that's even not a, a word, word. Yeah, you can make up any. What you can make up anything if you believe it. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm just yeah. gonna throw out. Even like when that happened, Mike Stevens from the Hockey News just went on an absolute bender on like just making jokes about Mark and Eric Stahl about the whole thing because uh, the first goal Matthew scored, he's just like Jesus told me he thinks Mark Stahl's net front coverage on that goal looked like shit. <laughs> I was like, like he was going on and on about that, about that, and wow. I, I was getting a few good laughs from uh, his tweets. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those subjects that I mean we keep we keep having to touch on. We're gonna graze over it a little bit here because we're not gonna get too in depth. Obviously, we've already we've already awoken the Sunday morning uh, churchgoers. You know what? So. I need to know for I just need Should to know how the hell instead of like you know 
commenting. I'm just watching I'm sticks in the sticks. Yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say like this. <laughs> like, is, there was there was nothing in our title or in our show description or anything indicating that we would even be talking about the Stall Brothers. How the fuck do people find this shit? We're we're actually on the jumbotron right now at uh, a church <laughs> down in Tennessee. We're at the Westboro like, Baptist Church. People yeah, are, yeah, all the just folks there are watching us. Put on the projection screen. <laughs> We're watching sticks in the six to see what they're gonna say this week about uh, <laughs> the the Stall Brothers. Like it's one um, thing on Twitter. If, big. You, if, you, if you tweet about stuff like that, you can search tweets, and I know some people just don't have a life and go search tweets with LGBTQ or pro pride stuff in it, and just reply to every single one of them with homophobia. Even if it's like three, I don't know ago. how that. I don't know how the fuck this thing found it. Like <laughs> literally nothing. Nothing on this show has it's anything like they, to do it's with It's like it. they tuned in from the start, waited for us to touch on, it, and then we're like, all right, my time to. Shine. <laughs> They're actually a true sticks in the six fan, and then they they decide to go on their trolling uh their trolling account just to make that comment. They lost us. Or yeah. sorry, we uh we we lost them as a fan. I think. Oh, oh shoot! It's unfortunate. Shoot. Oh man. Let's just fucking end the episode, guys. I'm done. Yeah. Go cry. Just, oh, I just feel so sad. Now. Um. Anyways. Hey. <laughs> anyways, before we jump over to uh talking about our fantastic Leafs, um. Just a quick word from our lovely sponsors over at the Indie Ale House. The playoffs will soon be back. And with it, so are our Maple Leafs. Getting ready for a night out or watching the game at home with the gang? What better way to do it than with a nice cold one from the folks at the Indie Ale House in Toronto? With a mantra to live Indie, what better way is what better way is there to get your drinks for the game than a Sorry, then at the Indie Ale House where beers are hoppier, fruitier, and aged longer, and where the in-house brewers aren't afraid to try new brewing techniques. Around since 2012, get down to Junction Area Brew Pub and grab a bite to eat or hit up their bottle shop and grab some of their award-winning beers for a night out, night in with the gang. From their Prairie Coast Wheat to the Green Dragon IPA, Live Indie now thanks. Live Indie now thanks to the independence of the Indie Ale House. Located at 2876 Dundas Street West in Toronto, please drink responsibly and don't be that person. Don't drink and drive. Visit www.indialehouse.com to place your orders today. Well, boys, uh, lots, as we mentioned, lots to talk about with our Leafs. Um, let's do a little recap on, on the week that was. Obviously, a stinker against the Islanders. Um, they bounced back with some, some big goals from their top four. And then uh, last night against the Canes, a little bit of a rough one uh, back and forth. A uh, couple late goals cost them the game. Um, your thoughts on the week that was, Peter? I'm not even going to touch the Islanders game. Uh, I'm just going to leave that, burn the tape. That didn't exist, although you probably should watch it. But then again, that served as a good wake-up call for them, and they bounced back really great against the Florida Panthers. And, you know, you just mentioned the Stars coming out. Um, they actually got their first five on three. Holy shit. That First was actually absolutely something. Everyone was just losing their mind about that. So that was actually kind of see good to see them get the five on three goal. But yeah, they they looked start they started to feel a little bit more comfortable as that game went on. And you know the everyone's going to make a lot about this game against the Carolina Hurricanes. But you know what? They didn't lose to a bottom feeder team. You know they the, the Carolina Hurricanes are a damn good hockey team. There's no doubt about that. And you know, looking at the stat line, they, aside from the first period where it kind of looked like, you know, things were look, looking great, 
they managed to bounce back. Um, you know, they dominated possession and shots on goal after that. Matthew started to click. Kelly Yarncroak's looking fantastic on that top line. Do not change that, I don't think. But then again, you know, you had the Nelson goal. You had Matthew's answer back and then Aho after that. So there's still some questions with the defensive lapses and positioning that's just – you know, they really need to tighten up in those situations and try and help out their goaltender. Uh, that, again, kind of that third goal probably should not have happened. Yeah, it was on a wraparound. Murray stopped it. Achari kind of let Nosen back in. That's probably the first gap that I saw Achari make this season or like as a Maple Leaf. But you know what? I'm not... I, they could have had the win because they tied it back up and then lost it or even just get or salvage a point. I would have loved that. But at the same time... I'm not going to lose sleep because they lost to a damn good team that can transition well, hurt you on the score sheet. And you know what? Just don't leave Sebastian Ajo wide open like that. Simple as that. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the Achari uh, penalty off the off the top uh, to, to cause a five-on-three against. But, uh, I mean, you can't put yourself in positions to lose and, and complain about officiating all the time either. So. I, I'm not gonna like like you said. I'm not gonna lose sleep about uh, about a loss to the Canes. They're they're a tough team, uh, and, and even without a couple of the big guys in the lineup, I mean it it uh, it makes it tough. But uh, Alex, That's your thoughts on day two? It was probably their best game played in a loss in some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And That's what yeah, I forgot. no, I I agree with you. I agree with you 100. Uh, Alex, your thoughts on the week that was for our Maple Leafs? <laughs> Yeah, I got nothing to say about the Islanders game either. I mean, Samsonov was thinking about his wife about to give birth within the next 24 hours, so I can't imagine his head was fully there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, obviously, Thursday's game. I don't know why I'm blanking right now. Who would they play on Thursday? Florida. Florida, yeah. Christ, I'm 23 years old, man. The Stall Brothers, man. The Stall oh, Brothers. Yeah. yeah, that's great. <laughs> we just got that. My God, I am awful. Anyways, so yeah, th- that game was that game was good. I got no complaints about that. And it's just it, it goes back to what I was what I was telling you guys earlier. I just I, I I really don't care about wins or losses too much at this point. I care about wins in the sense that I want them to stay ahead of Tampa Bay and clinch that home ice advantage. But I am so over watching them play a bad game and thinking, oh shit, this is going to be why they can't get out of the first round or watching them dominate a team back to back or front to back rather and be like, oh my God, they're going to win the cup this year. I just, I'm so sick of taking these games and pretending they've got any correlation to how they're going to do in the playoffs because in my opinion, they've either got it for seven games or they don't. So I don't really overthink anything that happened. I think you'd like to get a couple more saves from Murray in that game. Uh, although I thought he played pretty well overall. Um, It was tough to give that lead right back to Carolina. But another thing to remember is that this is a team that, you know, on the brink of losing or getting swept in the season series against the Leafs. um, These guys are a good team. They know how to lock down and defend a lead. And they like they're, it's you're not protecting a lead against the Anaheim Ducks here. Like the Carolina is the second best team in the league right now. So I'm not going to overthink that loss too much. I will say, the one thing that's kind of been kind of been worrying me a little bit is the fact that Timmy Lilligren has played his worst hockey of the season yeah. like, over these past three or four games, which really sucks because I thought I thought for sure that he was primed to take on a decent load in the playoffs this year. Maybe not top four minutes per se, but you know, he barely played in last year's playoffs. I thought maybe he was gonna take a step forward this year, and we were all calling for Keith's head when he kept sitting Lilligren over Hall. And then 
in when we when he came out with that quote of how you know there's going to be more competition and etc cetera, etc cetera. but he f- held to his word there he sat justin hall for a game he sat morgan riley for a game he sat giordano for a game he's sitting gustafson and lilligren here and there or sorry gustafson and shen i should say so it's not like lilligren's the one that keeps getting sat over and over like they're they're, they're experimenting with the entire defensive mm-hmm. core and giving everyone a bit of an equal cut and lilligren has just not lived up to the expectations and you know, when when they made all those trades at the deadline, I was driving the train of there's going to be some serious problems with Sheldon Keefe here if Lilligren is sitting in the playoffs over someone like Justin Hall. But to be completely honest, and for as critical as I've been of Hall, he's been pretty solid over this past month or so. Yeah, Like, he's made his mistakes here and there. He still has his brain blunders where he's out of positioning, etc. But, I mean, I got no problems with the way that he's played. And... It's getting to a point where if the Leafs opted to go with Hall and Shen on the right side in the playoffs instead of Lilligren, I, I, it would be disappointing, but I really can't say that I'd be surprised by it or blame Sheldon Keefe for it because Lilligren has just, his head just hasn't been there on a lot of plays. He's been whiffing on simple passes and breakouts and it's, le- it's led to some goals against just like last night. And, you know, I understand that the constant shuffling of lines and defensive partners probably hasn't helped his case at all. But at the same time, you know, no one else is suffering the way that he is. So mm-hmm. it's it, it really sucks because I don't want this to become a thing where Lilligren takes it the wrong way. And the Leafs end up with a similar situation with him next year as they had with Sandine this year. And he ends up getting traded because, you know, Sandine getting traded, I can understand. But Lilligren, I really do still think that there's something there and I don't want this to be like a downward spiral where he falls out of favor with Keith and Dubas and they end up having to trade him. And maybe I'm supremely overthinking this just because of, of a bad couple of games, but it is, it is disappointing to see him, his worst hockey of the season come over these past few games. And I, I hope that he turns it around, but at this point, I think it's, I, I think it's looking more and more likely by the day that we're going to see a defensive core of Brody McCabe, um, Riley Shen, Geo, and Hall. I, I really think that that's what the Leafs are going to be looking at against Tampa Bay. It's- how much of that? How much of that though do you think plays into Lilligren's bad play? Because I mean, if he if if you're thinking that's going to be the core six, I think I, I you have to think that his head's in the same place, and it- and that could be that could be affecting the confidence in a big way. I'm mm-hmm. sure it is, but as you know, as much as I hate to say this, like. Keith is not like the, the Leafs are 10 games away from going into the playoffs against Tampa Bay and the stakes are higher than it's ever been. So mm-hmm. for as much as it sucks for Lilgren, if his head's not there and if that's messing with his confidence that he's, he might not be guaranteed a spot in the playoffs. I mean, what can you do about that at this point? You need to have six guys in there who are ready to show up and ready to ready to play their best hockey and Lilgren, you know, if he can't, if he can't give Keith and his, his coaching staff full confidence that he's going to have it for the playoffs, then there's nothing you can really do about that. You just hope that he hope that he learns from the experience and hope that he turns around these next 10 games and keeps the competition fresh. But I'm really thinking that once Ryan O'Reilly gets back and it looks like he's on the cusp of returning, um, I think at that point we're going to stop, we're going to stop seeing this constant rotation of lines and partners. And I think we're going to see Keith really start to set his playoff lines. So I don't know. Time's running out for Timmy guys. Yeah, it's- I was going to one one last thing. Sorry, Peter. No, no, I, I was going to say, too, that, uh, you know, for me, this is kind of like a, a losing streak for a team going into the playoffs. And you, you kind of want to get it out of your system before you get to the playoffs. And I do think I, I agree. I think this is probably the, the worst streak of play that we've seen from Timothy Lilligren th- this season. 
at the same time, I'd rather him do it now, take these last 10 games and kind of figure it all out. You know, get the get the heebie-jeebies out of you and, 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 and play some good hockey for the last four or five games and maybe win that spot back. And we've talked about it throughout the season. The best thing that you can have going into the playoffs is depth on the back end. And if Timothy Lilligren is your seventh guy, I, to be honest, I have no issue with that. And I, I really, I think if you're Keith, you go to you go to Lilligren and you say, "Look, man, you've had a little bit of a rough a rough go these last few games. You're going to be our seventh guy going into the into the playoffs, but you're still you're still the guy for in the future for us. You're still our guy." And just like kind of push back that confidence that maybe maybe is dipping a little bit for a guy like Timothy. Yeah, um, I mean, Peter. you're not going to – sorry, go ahead, Peter. No, no, no. I, I, I was just going to add in that, yeah, like too many times. I, I think it all depends on who he's playing with, kind of similar to Morgan Riley. I mean, we saw how well Lilligram played with Sandine because they complement each other very well. Um, like you mentioned, Alex, and even when I wrote about three things that the Maple Leafs need to fix are like mitigating turnovers. And we, we've seen Timothy Lilligram's breakout passing in junior – uh, at the World Juniors, at the AHL level, at the NHL level, he's a fantastic breakout passer. How I, mean, I really do think, kind of what you alluded to, Alex, is that maybe this the line juggling, the shifting of uh, pairings, the fact that he may be the odd man out again is probably getting to him. But I think it all comes down to who he, is he best comfortable with to try and get him back on track and who better player than to put him with than Mark Giordano. You know, we saw how well those two connected and how well – Gio spoke highly of him, like, you know, two, three games after they're being uh, united together as a defensive pairing. And, you know, they do play that similar game. Both have that offensive tendencies. Both like to play the body a little bit. If if you find a comfortable pairing with Lilligren, I would want to try and see if maybe you want to rotate him in and out. But if he's playing with Lil- uh, Giordano, I think you will see the Lilligren that we saw earlier this season the one before that and maybe those you know tendencies are going to be gone because yeah those 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 simple plays and miscues that he's making he's made them countless times before and he knows that I mean there's like countless clips and video where we could go back and say hey what a fantastic breakout pass or what a fantastic play by Lilligren jumping up you know everything like that he he really needs to find his footing right now because like like both of you I do agree that he could be the seventh man and you know, again, may not be a bad thing, but for him who wants to maintain that spot and who is eyeing the top four spot, pushing Justin Hall down previously before, that could be a bad thing for him. And he needs to try and find his neck, like the next level and next gear for him because I I pray to God we don't see another situation where it's Rasmus Sandin all over again. And then in the offseason, we hear Lilligren say, oh, he's not happy with his ice time. And it's like, well... What, what are we going to do now? You lose another defender for the future. Should should note too, though, like Sandine after he was traded did come out and say like he never asked for a trade. Whatever was reported was kind of like kind of a false, little bit yeah. of smoke and and mm-hmm. and you know not not as much fire, right? But that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. I I want to note too that Timothy Lilligren's twenty three years old, right? Like we're talking about Still a guy young. that this is this is your development. This is this is the guy that you're bringing up. That he's not to me. When they traded Sandine, this was them saying, we're going this way with Lilligren instead of this way with Sandine. And I think they had to make that choice with the cap restraints that are on them. And they saw more in Timothy Lilligren than they saw in Rasmus Sandine. Yeah. And that's not a knock on Sandine. 
Um, obviously we know his numbers since he went to, to Washington, but um, I think too, like you, you go back to, to Timothy Lilgren and you say like, you, you just pump up that confidence. And, and if, if I'm the coaching staff right now, I'm looking at it and saying, um, you know, Peter, and I, you, you and I kind of discussed it before we, we started recording here is that Justin Hall is not going to be the future of this, this organization. And yeah. we have seen the blunders throughout the season. So there is a chance that you rotate the two in and out of the lineup as your five or six guy throughout the playoffs. And it won't create too much turmoil when it comes to the chemistry of the lineup. I really do believe like if you, if you move, let's say your, your fourth line right winger in and out of the lineup in the playoffs, you're not, you're not affecting the chemistry to the same point as if like, okay, we're going to, we're going to throw the second and third line into the blender and see what happens. Um, it's a little bit of a different story, but on that bottom pairing, if you throw Lilligren in and he sits like, let's say he sits game one and two, you know, Leafs split it one, one, you're going into game three tied in the series and you throw Lilligren in instead of Justin Hall. I don't think it's going to affect you. In fact, I think it might give you that little bit of a boost that you need maybe because Lilligren says, okay, this is my chance to shine. So there, there's a lot of storylines that can come out of this. Uh, again, I think if you go in with him as your seventh, you're not, you're not in a bad spot at all. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, anyways, uh, Samsonov, I want to talk about goaltending. We, uh, obviously Samsonov has been out a little bit the last couple games, uh, with the birth of his, his child. He's not hundred percent. Congratulations to the Samsonovs first off, um, adding another addition to the family is always, always a fun experience. Um, but let's start with Matt Murray because his, his play of late, I mean, he has this great game in Florida kind of comes back and it's, you know, a little, a little hit and miss against Carolina. Again, we talk about Carolina being such a great team. They didn't have Svechnikov. Um, they were missing some pieces and he didn't look as maybe confident or as, um, what's the word as, as maybe focus focus as, as he has in past mm-hmm. uh, past outings but peter let's throw it to you first your thoughts on matt murray and his play of of late obviously we all uh, all agree that samsonov is going to be your starter going into the playoffs but uh should the leafs kind of give him a little bit of rest and let samsonov kind of string one out for the last 10 games here Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, if you were really want to go in with one goaltender set of mind as a starter, then yeah, you got to go Sammy. There's no doubt about that. But I really haven't. Obviously, yeah, you get some questions and doubts about Murray's play, how like he has led in some easy goals. And let's face it, some of those goals should not have gone in. I mean, I previously talked about the uh, Stefan Nezen goal where, you know, pucks on the line, he's trying to keep it out and then, you know, kind of just lets it back in but then again kind of achari on the same play didn't quite tie up uh nosen as well but i mean i i actually haven't been that disappointed in murray's play because he has given his team a chance to play in case in point the ottawa game where you know they were up four two team kind of collapses and then he has that stellar like overtime and shootout where he's still giving his team that chance to win and you know, that's kind of important. I thought that was like a real, that could have served as a good turning point for him. But yeah, even Keith said post game and even Alex said that's, you know, probably should have had maybe one or two make a stop here and there. Yeah, it's going to be key because let's face it, if he had like, even if it's a very, very close game in the playoffs, 
it's 1-1. You know, game seven, do or die. You have Matt Murray in there. He's having the game of his life. But if he lets in a stinker, kind of like what we saw with Jack Campbell quite a few times last season and even in the playoff bubble before that, you know, what's going to happen then? You're going to have a lot of Maple Leafs fans. I mean, yeah, you still have some of his supporters, but then you're going to have a lot of people turn on him saying, oh, the, why did we acquire him? It was a bad move and everything like that. You're going to, you're, you're just going to hear the like stupid comments come out. But, you know, he does need to dial it in. He does need to refocus. And I think maybe taking some time off here and there would be great. But then again, how are you going to adjust to the schedule or to playoffs? Because Alex, I don't mean to jump in on here. I know you're writing something about that, but you know, Samsonov is good at home. Murray, it has been better on the road. What do you do? Are you still going to elect to go with Samsonov the whole entire way? Or are you going to throw in Murray for the away games? You know, it's interesting to see what's going to happen. But I I really haven't had an issue with Murray's game so far. It's just, yeah, a goal here and there. He needs to stop. But he's been making saves when he needs to. Alex, what are your thoughts? Uh, as as Peter alluded to, you are writing a piece on on the goaltending going into the playoffs. Um, obviously, Matt Murray, he hasn't been horrible this season. Um, he's had a couple of blips that uh, kind of make you question, um, you know, his spot as a starter. But at the same time, you've got Samsonov, who's playing, you know, pretty much lights out aside from that that stinker he put up against the Islanders. Um, your thoughts on, on on the goaltending going into the playoffs? Yeah, I I, I would say that. Samsonov for sure is still the game one guy at this point, just because, I mean, if the Leafs lock up home ice against Tampa Bay, you look at Samsonov's stats on home ice, he is lights out at home with the exception of maybe one or two games. So I think you got to go Samsonov at home. And unless he completely shits the bed, I think you got to go with him game two as well. But it is worth a look to see if the Leafs should go Murray and Samsonov kind of at their better home and road splits throughout the first round. Like Murray's stats are way better on the road than they are at home. And Samsonov's obviously are the opposite. So it's an interesting conversation to have, because I think that there's also an element of, of guessing that you, that you keep sticking Tampa Bay with. If you change your goalie midway through the series. And I think it's something that you can, I know in the playoffs, you don't really want to be, you know, playing stuff by ear and trying new things out and trying to be innovative when you've got four games to win out of seven. But at the same time, I don't know, man. I think that it would honestly be worth a look for the Leafs to give that a shot because Samsonov's road record speaks for itself, just like Murray's home record does. So I don't know. I think there's a unique opportunity this year. And I think, like I said, it's one of those things where you have to go game by game and if Samsonov's playing if he like if he's lights out in game one and two I don't think you should give Murray game three in Tampa by default Mm -hmm. but if it's if it's like you know like you said Andrew they split the series and Samsonov's lights out in one game and you know maybe like a let's I don't know 27 shots on or sorry geez let's 20 I can't speak let's three goals on 30 shots or something like that so saves 27 out of 30 then yeah maybe you look at you look at Murray in Tampa Bay for game three but it would be interesting because, you know, I, I don't think that the Leafs should be giving Matt Murray that that start in game one or just giving him starts based on what he did with Pittsburgh in 2016 and 2017. That's a long time ago, even if it feels like a couple years ago. So I think that but at the same time, even though you shouldn't be banking his success this year on that. I also think that there is a reason that he 
won those cups and he played in those games. I think he's still got that big game ability and I wouldn't be totally against him getting a game in the playoffs, but I do think that without, before anything else, they have to, um, they really just have to make sure that Samsonov is probably starting game one because of the way that he's been playing lately. And beyond that, I think you, you got to roll with the hot hand, but also keep those splits in mind because it'd be worth a try. Yeah, it's funny. I think, you know, going into the season, we had all this speculation about who was going to be the starter and who was going to finish the season as the starter. And it was kind of, uh, I, I think the Leafs were kind of hoping that the goaltenders made it difficult on them as well. Um, now we're sitting here kind of discussing who's going to be game one starter. I think, as you mentioned, I think uh, Samsonov stays the game one starter, but there's there's certainly a question mark around what what to do when it comes to the playoffs because of that home and away record and and how it's going to play out. And um, as you mentioned, you don't want to tinker too much, but at the same time, I think, you know, there's going to come a point where, you know, maybe there's a bad goal let in and, and, and the conversation is going to be had. Um, that said, I, I do believe that they're going to go with Samsonov, uh, but we've seen, we've seen Matt Murray come, come in late in the playoffs in, in previous seasons and uh, what he's been able to do with that short run as well. So uh, it'll be, it'll be an interesting one. As we get into these last 10 games, um, I think Matt Murray's play obviously has been a little bit more inconsistent than what they've, what they've wanted this season. Uh, that said, I mean, I think it, it could turn around at any point. And this is a guy that's been in the playoffs before. He's got the playoff experience and you never know what can happen come playoff time. And that's why we always talk about how, you know, it's great to succeed in the regular season, but you want to see what they can do, you know, once, once the games count and, uh, it'll be interesting to see what the what the Leafs do with that. But um, jumping over to Samsonov for a second here, I, I want to talk about his next contract. And I, I know it might be a little bit early to get in that conversation, but the conversation has to be had. This guy was on a prove-it deal this season. From, from the outside looking in, he's done exactly that. He's proven that he can be a starter in this league behind a pretty solid defense. At the same time, He's proven he can be a personality within a, within a an organization that you know does get a lot of media criticism throughout the year. Alex is Samsonov knowing kind of where the cap is going and what the Leafs have and where they who they need to bring back and who they need to sign and look at signing new contracts. Has Samsonov maybe played himself out of a job in Toronto next season? I don't think so, honestly. I, you know. I get to a point, I think the Leafs get to a point where they look at the contracts and the people that they have to resign. Obviously, Bunting's on the table for this year. You've got the possibility of O'Reilly coming back. You've got your other UFAs there. You know, I think that there's just so many forwards that are that are that need contracts this year. I think that the Leafs would be smarter to part with some of those forwards rather than parting with the goalie that got him through a lot of this year. And the one benefit that I think that they have is obviously if Samsonov keeps this up and I think another very, sorry, I'm kind of jumping from point to point here, but I think another thing to remember here is that what Samsonov commands on his next contract depends largely on what happens in the playoffs this year and what his role is. So it's kind of hard to have any conversations about what kind of contract you'd be looking at. I would say that it's somewhere in between what Billy Huso got for Detroit this past year and what Campbell got in Edmonton because He's played more games than Huso, but this year would have really been the only one where he's kind of proven himself to be a good starter. So 
having said that, you know, Samsonov was drafted in the first round of the 2015 draft and goalies don't often go in the first round. And when you look at the goalies that have gone in the first round, a good chunk of them are good goalies. So you have, you got Jake Ottinger, um, you've got Spencer Knight, who I, obviously he's, he's in the player assistance program right now. So it's not something he's not really a good comparison to make, but I think his potential is absolutely still there. And you look at the goalies that have been, that have been going in the first round and, Samsonov, I think, has potential to be an elite goalie and has potential to be one of the better goalies in the league. I just think that he fell out of favor with the Capitals and maybe he's rejuvenated his game now in Toronto. And if that's the case, and it's, I think this, these next couple weeks and months are going to be telling, I don't think the Leafs should let him go. He's only 25, 26 years old, and he's still like, he's not even in his prime yet. And if you can get a guy like him locked up, that's your goalie for the next four or five years, unless he completely tailspins, which. I mean, I wouldn't put it past that to happen because it's the Leafs. But at the same time, you know, I don't know what your goaltending option is for next year if you part with Samsonov after this year. Do you bring back Murray and make him the full-time starter with Wall as your backup? Or do you go after someone else in free agency? Do you go after someone in a trade? I just, I, I think that if you have the money to bring back Samsonov, and I can't imagine he's going to ask for some ridiculous number. I'd imagine, like, I, I think that if you're the Leafs, you have to, try and get him back on an extension, even if it's just for three or four years, because he's looking like one of the best goalie options they've had in years now. And he's young and he's, he's in his prime. Like you said, he was on a prove it deal. He's definitely proven it. Uh, I just, I think that you got to look at all the success he's given you this year. And who knows that could turn into more depending on how they do in the playoffs. And at that point, just, I think you got to bring him back because he's the best, one of the best goalies you've had in a while. Peter, given, uh, Hopefully that Edmonton doesn't buy out Campbell and go out and spend six million dollars on uh, Samsonov. What are your thoughts on bringing a guy like Samsonov back? Obviously, like I mentioned, you know when it comes to handling the media, I think he's done his part in in, in doing that as well in Toronto. Um, your thoughts on bringing that guy like him back? I mean, it has to be at the top of the priority list if you're Kyle Dubas right now. There's no doubt about that. Again, like we talked about the inconsistency with the you know Matt Murray's play, Samsonov even even with some away games, even even though Samsonov's numbers haven't been great, he has made stellar saves at certain points. Like case in point, that New Jersey Devil game where Matthew scores the game winner with like you know two three minutes remaining. I, I thought Samsonov was really great in that game. Yeah stinker here and there but you know what he made timely saves like he kept his team in it but uh i based on the contract i i i kind of agree with alex if you're looking anywhere between 4.5 or 5 million i would not hesitate to sign him to that deal that is the ideal figure because if you look at what anderson signed with the maple Leafs when he first came over i can't i can't remember the age that he signed it he was probably around the same age as samsonov 26 27 Signed five years, uh, five years, five mil. Looked great for that time. And then again, you know, the team in front of Anderson wasn't that great. And he had a heavy workload. That workload is kind of like, you know, been alleviated off the goaltender's shoulders, especially in Sam Sadoff's case. Jack Campbell, the five million that he earned this year was not very great based on the very, very small sample. We're starting to see that right now. And who still signed 4.75? That, that to me, out of all three of those contracts, I think you would have the most value out of that with Samsonov because you would have him for another, you know, four seasons before he hits 30, one more year before he gets to like, after he gets to the 30 mark. 
And then you can try and take it from there. Where do you want to go with his play? If you sign him to a five-year, $4.55 million deal, I think that might be the sweet spot of where you may want to try and get him in because, you know, unless you want to try and re-sign him for one more year of RFA control and try and say, hey, you're on a proven deal. We want to see more consistency. I don't think that's going to work out. I think they know what they have right now. So if you're able to sign him right now, he, you may have to burn off one year of RFA, but it'll still take him quite some time until he's like 30, 31. I think that'll be an ideal situation because then you can evaluate at that age, goaltenders tend to try and start to dip off. But at the same time, if he's continuing to take the steps in his development and work hard and take the steps that he's doing so far, why not extend him right now? I, I think that's going to be very ideal for the Maple Leafs that they can try and get him under contract sooner rather than later. Yeah, Alex, I like your idea of kind of giving up on on a couple of forwards to make sure that you solidify your goaltending. Um, for me, when I look at the when I look at the Leafs, I look at you need to get yourself through to a point where you can bring up one of the goaltenders that you've you've you know drafted and developed. And I think right now Aktiyamov is is kind of top of my list is is as a guy that I'm watching in terms of overall organizational development. I think if you sign Samsonov to like you said that kind of two, three-year deal, all of a sudden you're looking at some of these organizational goaltenders coming up and, and, and getting an opportunity to, to really showcase what they have within within the Leafs organization as well. Um, you talk about Petrozelli, uh, he had a decent start to the year. Obviously, Joseph Walls had a, has a has had a good run as well for the Marlies. Dennis but, Hildeby, uh, throw him out yeah. there too. Dennis Hildeby, uh, I've written about him a couple times this season as well. But I like I said, I'm really I'm really high on this Aktiyamov kid um, overseas, and I, I'd love to see him get a shot with Leafs at some point. Um, and I think you have to get yourself to that that time frame where he's he's available to come over and get an opportunity in in North America as well. So. To do that, I think you you know you have the perfect guy. He's he's still young, as you mentioned. He's probably just hitting his prime as a goaltender, and you know what he can do. and And I don't think you need to go out there and, and sign him to a you know five six million dollar contract. Um, I think you know you can sign him to three years and and maybe offer him four four point five, and and he'd be in that range as well. Like uh, like you pointed out, Alex. So. I'd like to see him back. Uh, I think he's the perfect personality for for uh, for a media media base like like Toronto. Yeah. Um, gives you the exact answers you need. He has a bad game. He takes ownership, but he also he he also adds onward like a and upward. Bit. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And it's not, and, and it's he not adds, he's not sitting there sulking like, oh, I let the team down. Oh gosh. No, hundred so percent. But he also yeah. adds that comedic relief to it as well, right? And, mm-hmm. and he can give you those comedic answers, and you know let let the Toronto media run with it and uh you know he can kind of just kind of live on with what he's done so I think the funniest part about him is that like I think I tweeted this once but every single media appearance or press conference he does there's always at least one hilarious soundbite like yeah. he just makes he's just one of those guys that seems naturally funny like there's that tweet there there was that time when he got saved by a goal that was called off and he said thank you god and thank you video coaches and then there was another t- there was another couple weeks ago when he said he got hit in the balls in warm up and that's why he was skating <laughs> yeah. around like he, he just he's just funny. Like, that was the Devils game. He called what, what what was it? He called uh, he called Zach Aston Reese a sniper after he scored two <laughs> goals against Carol. Like this guy's just hilarious. I, I knew he was going to go out and do that. Yeah, yeah I knew he was going to. Yeah, yeah. yeah called, Mike, no. called bunting dirty Mike. Like <laughs> yeah. 
And he said, what, what did he say? He said he, when Marner was on that point streak, he said, oh, he can get up to 50 or something. Like, you could literally go down the list and and, and yeah. find all these hilarious Samsonov quotes. And I think, yeah, like you're right, Forbes. And that's, you know, we sit here and joke about the funny things that he says to the media. But at the same time, I think that's an element you really need to be successful in Toronto. 100%. And 100%. His plays there, he can deal with the media. He doesn't take himself seriously. And I'm telling you, man, if Samsonov's the goalie, to get the Leafs past the first round this year, I would sign him long-term. I don't even care. Like I'm so, I am so past the point of, <laughs> of, of worrying about futures right now and things that are going to happen five years from now. I've been a fan of the Leafs for 18 years. And yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm going to come out and say it. I'm a fucking Leafs fan. I, I, that might screw over any possibility that I have to get credentialed with the team and ever cover, <laughs> cover them and stuff. Cause you know, I'm not going to be objective or I, May, they may not think I will, but before anything else, I'm a fan. I've been watching this team for 18 years. I have not seen a lick of success. Like the, the biggest success I've seen is a tie between making the playoffs and winning the draft lottery for Matthews. So, I mean, if, if the Leafs get out of the first round this year, I just, I, I don't care. I would sign him eight years because he did what no Leafs goalie has been able to do for 18 years. So. And that's why you should take advantage of that now than later. Cause mm-hmm. You, you know, I mentioned the five-year deal, but like you said, Alex, if you do, if he does play well, why not extend him and have that security? And I know we have like goaltenders in the system that could probably come up, but at the same time, are they going to pan out as well as we had hoped? Because we there's still the it, not necessarily worry about Justin Hall, but he has that Justin Wall. Sorry, not Justin Hall. Um, the worry about his injury history that he's had in the past. He's bouncing back, but great. But what if something happens down the line? Then you do have you know, Akiyama Van Hildeby, who may still be a few years away, but you at least have that security in net for even a longer period of time with Samsonov. And he could still be a veteran presence should one of those players come up and they can learn the ropes and, and you know, feed off each other as well because he could be he could serve as a good mentor as well. Cowboys, even if you sign him to six years, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's 32 at the end of the contract. Yeah, I think exactly. I think it, it's a you know, really ideal sweet spot for him, especially when he's a free agent again. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred um, percent. I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, going back to what you said, Alex, about uh, this team hasn't had any success. Uh, I think it was Sportsnet played a clip the other day where it was like uh, Sundin's goal in the dying seconds with the net empty uh, against Carolina. Carolina. To, to, and I was like, I'm like, yeah, I remember this moment. I was like, up and then on over my feet time. cheering, and then. And then, yeah, Dude, I ended up losing. So. I literally started watching the Leafs when they had fucking Jason Allison in their lineup. Oh, 2005, man, he, 2006. He was, he was slow. He was slow. It's just, uh, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry you guys had to put up with my little moment of weakness there. But, boys, I'm telling you right now, I'm just, I, I am a ball of stress over for what's going to happen in this next month because I'm actually worried that if they lose in the first round again and there's no justifiable reason and i don't see how there can be one at this point i, I don't know how i'm gonna write about this team all summer again I, that this is like three summers in a row where we've been on nothing but write posts about what went wrong what do they do for next year what do they address in the off season and there's and i'm sitting here writing this shit in like the middle of may and you keep like, all your drafts from last summer just in case dude yeah. <laughs> honestly and, them. like it just I, i'm just so and this goes back to what I was saying about how I don't care about these regular season games anymore. Give me game one. I'm so, I, I just, I don't, I, I don't so over it. Just give me game one. Give me game one. I, I'm I so think... over this and so over sitting through these last 10 games to 
watch Keith Tinker and Tinker and watch people freak out about practice lines and, you know, oh, for, freak out over Hall playing over Lilligren or Kerfoot on the top line. Whatever. I don't care. I just want to see game one. I think I think we got playoff predictions coming up soon too, so I'm excited for that. I'm excited think, to see where it. we're going with these series. I, honest to God, boys, might just pick Tampa win the first round because every other year I've picked the Leafs and they've, they've let me down. So maybe I'm going to try something different this year. Hey, I picked Tampa last year. Or sorry, I picked Toronto last year because I said every round that Tampa was going to be tired from their two cup runs. And guess what? They shoved it down my hoop. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, man. At I'm some just, point, they're going to have to break. Like, have to. Do you guys remember that goal last night where the, the goal that Matthew scored right before Carolina took it right back? Did you see Bunting's reaction jumping up in. and down? He yeah. looked like the Leafs just won around there. And I saw that, and I it's almost like I saw a little vision of what I could witness in four weeks' time. But I'm just, uh, I'm I'm tired, boys. I'm tired. I'm I'm really really tired. All right, uh, let's let's jump over the Riley getting a break. I don't want to talk about load management. I just want to talk about Matthews as our last talking point of this episode, boys. But um, Austin Matthews looked good last night. He's looked good for the last last few games. He looks like he's back. He's talked about his his hand injury and uh, how it's affected his season. Um, when when McDavid scored his 60th, all Edmonton Oilers fans could do was focus on that the fact that he did it one game faster than than Austin Matthews. Um, and I want to get your guys' opinion on Austin Matthews. Is this is this guy back just in time for the playoffs? Peter, let's throw it to you first. Oh hell yeah, he is um honestly like ever since that he scored that goal against the new jersey devils i i thought we 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 noticed that and even when the news came out that he was like dealing with something with his wrist he would like it seemed like he was slowly getting back to like peak you know 60 goal score from last season obviously you know he's not gonna hit that mark but you know what um you know 36 goals in what is a down season is still going to possibly surpass the 37 that he had. And even then, he lost a lot of time to injury that season in his second season. So whatever. You, you, you could say, oh, Matthews is washed up. Not a good goal scorer anymore. Just shut up. Um, but I, he is back. He definitely is. Like, he was buzzing every single moment he was on the ice last night. I think in, like before the second period was even done, he even had 11 shots on goal. What was the last time he hit double digits in goal in shots on goal in one game? I like obviously we're doing this live. I'm not gonna. I'll probably go back and try and see when he had double digits in in shots on goal. But man, he was feeling it. And what better time than to feel it than right now during this stretch? Obviously, that line with him and Marner and uh, Yarn Croak are clicking perfectly. Everyone else seems to be getting you know finding their groove. Obviously bottom the fourth line has had their ups and downs especially david camp lately but not here talking about him but matthews alone he is dialed in he he, like i think every single year i've always mentioned that the team should take you know the past playoff failures in the history of what happened previous year and use that to their advantage right now i don't want to say that right now because i've used that statement so many times but if matthews is channeling the critics trying to silence everything right now he's going to be leading the charge kind of like he what he did last season in the playoffs as well obviously one goal or two goals short of uh, moving on to the next round but if he's going to replicate this kind of success down the stretch and into the playoffs 
yeah, yeah, he's definitely going to be an impactful player. That is definitely for sure. April 7th against Dallas, 12 shots. He had two goals. Uh, April 7th, last season. Last season. That was a 60 goal season. So yeah, he so he was he wanted to get to that 60 goal mark then. And right now he he again not getting to that, but he's going to do whatever he can to just get his team a W. Yeah, believe it or not, more shots equals more goals for Austin Matthews. So there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Alex, your thoughts on on Austin Matthews and what he's been able to do this season, not just offensively, but if you look at our our little ticker there at the bottom, he's fifth on the team. Um active players. Uh, when it comes to hits as well. So what he's done for this team, uh, he's definitely been a valuable piece. Boys, I hate to be the, uh, I hate to nitpick something like this, but I will mention that looking at those Leafs hits later, they are not factoring in Nolachari or Luke Shen. So Matthews would actually be seventh. However, um, I think that he's, he's stepped it up overall this year. His two-way game's been great. And I'll tell you right now, I'll set the scene from last night when Matthews scored that third goal to tie up the game. I left my house, I went and I lit the beacons and I alerted the townsfolk and the masses that Austin Matthews is indeed back. And then I went back home and it was 4-3 Carolina. So either way, point still stands. Austin Matthews is in fact back. And, you know, for all the people that were like, I don't know, man, something's not right with Matthews. He's not good. He didn't. You're right. He looked like he, he didn't have the same pizzazz as he had last year, but guy was over a point per game over 30 goals if that's how he's gonna play with an injury all year i sign me up because you're you know i think he says he's feeling better now and you're seeing what he's capable of now and you're laughing so i think that uh i think that as long as he can keep this play up for the playoffs like he said peter and man a game or sorry a goal in a game five or six or seven just like he scored that game five goal to win it and take the series three, two last year, a goal like that in a game where if they win, they're in this guy is going to have his legend status cemented in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Cause at this point, the stakes of getting out of the first round are as high as they would be as if they were in the cup final. So I, I just hope that we continue to see this version of Matthews still on pace for 87 points too. I mean, like that's still good. Down at- year, down yeah. year, down year. And that's going to be his second highest point total ever. So health is everything for this guy guys. And uh, yeah. I think, uh, you know, we need to have him at hundred percent going into the playoffs. I'm okay with a little load management in this last week, uh, get him to where he needs to be. I don't care if he hits 40 goals, um, what he's been able to do defensively. And, and he's, he's a defensive stalwart when it comes to uh, what he can do as, as a center for this team as well. So um, Sel- he gets my vote for the Selkie this season. Uh, I think the 34, 36 goals is just a testament to what he's been able to do in his 200-foot game, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to get game one going, just as you are, Alex, and I think <laughs> it's it's time we get the regular season done. Let's get into playoffs. Let's get the, the predictions going. Uh, we'll, we'll obviously have that over the next couple of uh, episodes here at Sticks in the Six. Before we shut it down, anything you guys wanted to add, Peter or Alex? Uh, I've got nothing to add. I'm going to be coming out with that piece about Murray and Samsonov in the playoffs on Monday. Uh, so that's, that's one thing to look forward to. And uh, other than that, yeah, not much else to plug. Peter, anything you got, buddy? Uh, probably working something in the works with the Leafs, but I'm also working, obviously, you know, draft season is upon us. Uh, getting my top 96 out right now or working on it right now. I know the last one was a little bit, 
wordy. I'm going to try and keep it down this time. But uh, yeah, going along very well. Well, boys, I had a piece come out uh, about Luke Shen this morning, so check that out. A uh, little breakup, a little time and space away from each other, and uh, both both parties came back, revitalized, re-identified, and uh, it's working out right now for the Leafs and Luke Shen, so check that out as well at the Hockey Writers. As always, you can follow all of us on Twitter, myself at Andrew G. Forbes. You can follow Alex at A. Hobson Media, and you can follow Peter at P. Barracchini. You can follow the show at sticks in the six pod that's s-t-i-x-i-n-t-h-e-6-i-x-p-o-d make sure you head over to the sports podcast group and vote for us as one of the finalists for the top hockey podcast of the year be sure to subscribe to our show below on youtube check us out on uh any of any of the socials tiktok uh, instagram any of those socials and uh, this episode will be up on all streaming platforms tomorrow or later today uh, we'll see about that um but uh check us out on iHeartRadio, spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you download your favorite podcast until next week boys uh that's it for us here at sticks in the six next week we'll be with you for episode 120 of the podcast <laughs>